All right, well, good morning and welcome to Emmaus Church. This is our 606th Sunday gathering, and you're here, and my name's Nathan, and I'm excited to be here as well. Uh, I want to invite you to raise your hand if you like a Bible. We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 5 uh, at some point here this morning. Also, if you're seated on, seated on the aisle and there's a basket under your seat, would you hand that down the row? If you'd like to fill out a, con- a communication card, you're welcome to grab one of those, fill it out, and turn it in later when we receive our offering for the morning. This information is just um, given because you would like to be in the database. We typically send out an update once a week, just uh, top three things happening in our church this week. It's a real effective way to stay connected. So if you haven't shared that info, you're welcome to do that um, with, the, with that card All right, if this is your first time here today, I hope you just feel really welcomed. I hope you feel like this is a safe place to go at your own speed. Uh, We started this church 11 and a half years ago as a church for Christ followers and spiritual seekers. We are welcoming of those who are open to the possibility that Jesus has uh, a love in his heart for you and has a plan from the beginning of time for your life. And what we want to do is, is consider the teachings of Christ and apply them to our lives in a way that we hope makes a real difference, a real practical difference. Today what I want to do is I want to talk about um, how to become whole. I want to highlight, I'm going to break my own rule, I'm going to highlight nine big ideas really quickly that we've covered in this series that we've been in since summertime on emotional health. And then I want to look at probably the most dangerous question that Jesus asks, and I want to consider how your answer to that dangerous question I think is the most significant piece in determining whether or not you move forward in health or you stay stuck. And then I want to offer just at the end in a couple of seconds, I want to offer just 10 really practical tools in case you're like, okay, so what do I do now? All right. But before I do that, I want to give you a heads up about next week. Uh, Next week, I'm going to start a brand new two-week series, just a little mini series called Jesus is Lord. I want to do a week on Creed and I want to do a week on community, and I'm telling you this now because I want you to be really clear that this is not a reaction to the results of the election. This is not in in response to the results of the election, okay? This This is a response to the election process in general and what I feel like it has done to the church. I want to be, I want to be a voice that hopefully is a healthy, refreshing, sort of a juice cleanse kind of approach to um, reminding us of who we are as the church and how we are to interact in our culture. Okay, so just two weeks. If it's too much for you, I've warned you up front. Um, And again, not a reaction. I have no idea what's going to happen. I I literally have no idea what's going to happen. But I do want to respond because I'm committed to and convicted that I should be and that we as a church should know who we are, and we should be engaged in this culture uh, no matter what happens. All right, so that's next week. So today, becoming whole, part 10, part 10. Question, how does a person become whole? This is the question we've been asking since the end of this summer. Here's a quick recap of nine ways that we can grow in emotional health. That's a lot. Consider them in two categories. First, ways that move you forward, and then second, ways that are all about looking back. In other words, things about our future and then things having to do with our past. Number one, you got to be honest. In order to grow emotionally, to become emotionally whole, you got to be honest. That's where we started. Uh, We talked about being honest specifically with God. 
which is sort of silly, is it? But is it not? Because he already knows everything. Um, but it helps, it turns out, it helps us to be honest with ourselves when we're honest with God. And the way we do that is we're honest with others, Christian friends, spiritual um, partners who can come alongside us, hear what's happening in our lives, and we begin to share like in home groups and other things. And we also grow in this way by being intentional about being transparent with God in prayer, where we, we tell God what's really going on. Uh, we pray prayers like Psalm 139 that includes this phrase, search me and know my heart, okay? So, got to be honest. Two, got to submit all emotions to God. Ask the question, what are you carrying? I love this question. This question's got a lot of fuel for me right now. What are you carrying? What's on your shoulders? What's on your mind? What's going on? What are you carrying? I told the story in this sermon about the summer I spent in a homeless shelter in Chicago and how I wrestled with anger all summer. And I had to come to a place where I had to realize this is going to last a while. This isn't going to be fixed quickly. So therefore, I cannot wait till I'm done being angry to come to God. I've got to learn how to come to God in my anger. So this is all about submitting your emotions, all emotions, submitting them to God. I talked about building healthy habits. Healthy habits are the real building blocks of change. Did you know that? It's habits. Occasional action and occasional event sometimes changes your direction. But it's habits that actually make the, the lasting difference. We're talking about how habits have a trigger, a response, and a reward. Most people know that. We focused on the importance of what you believe as you form healthy habits and what your community believes. Right? So if you believe that you were made for a purpose, if you believe that you were made to be healthy, and your community believes that too, now we're talking about some powerful potential to build healthy habits that can actually change, um, change your life. And we introduced you to will. We talked about the exercising our will as we establish healthy habits. And then the last uh, sermon on that set was Stephanie preached on extreme balance. She talked about this pressure to be balanced in our culture as defined by, you kind of do a lot of things and you do a lot of things well. And she wondered if, in fact, that wasn't a real healthy way to approach things. And if instead, what we're really called to is obedience to a calling. And when you're, when you're following up on a calling, when you're responding to what God has called you to do, then maybe your life doesn't look necessarily all perfectly suburbanized and, and balanced, but maybe it looks a little bit, a little bit extreme. For instance, there are several families, four or five families in our church, who are in the process of adopting children, opening their home up to, to kids through adoption. And, and there is no way, as I've watched and been a part of these families' lives over the last couple months, that you could say, boy, they're really living a balanced life, according to sort of the, we do a lot of things, we do a variety of things, and we do all things well. It simply isn't realistic. But what they are doing is they're responding to what they sense is a call from God to do something that's pretty dramatic, and that's requiring a sense of balance that is essentially saying no to a lot of things, so you can say a wholehearted yes to, a, to a, just a few things. That's what we're talking about. And this is always what is required when you respond to a call, whether it's a call to uh, support a cause, whether it's a call to save your marriage, whatever the cause is, whatever the call is. And a call is responded to with, this, with a level of passion that requires you to say no to a lot of things. And a lot of people are going to be like, oh, gosh, there's not even any of this in your life. And you go, well, I'm okay with that because I'm actually pursuing extreme balance. I'm saying yes to a couple of things because I, this is what it requires for me to respond to God. 
So when we talk about how to become whole, we're talking about moving forward with honesty, submitting our emotions to God, building healthy habits, becoming extremely balanced, maybe in a way that doesn't look like the rest. And then if we look back, part two of the series was kind of looking at some of the harder parts of our life, like the brokenness in our life. And I asked you to look back with these two truths in mind. One, that God is with you and that God is with you in your pain. God is with you in your pain. And we've talked about that a lot at Emmaus. It's just kind of become a theme. But also, God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to lead you through it. That's the thing, that's the beauty right there. Is God is with you in it. You don't have to be done with your pain in order to be with God. God is with you in your pain. And the good news is he wants to lead you through your pain. And that's going to take a long time. It's not a quick fix. I'm not saying that. But it's good news because God wants to, he doesn't want you to get stuck. You don't have to get stuck. And so we talked about pain from failure. Don't forget failure because your failures are gold mines of insight into you, into God, and into life. Your failures are gold mines of insight. So don't lock those up. Be brave enough to face your failures because you learn so much through them. We talked about pain from loss. I interviewed Tony and Julie Carlisle about losing their teenage daughter. She's a powerful interview. It's online. If you want to see that, I, I, I recommend it to you. Between those two talks was a short talk given by Sienna, which I'm increasingly grateful for. Her message was, be graceful to yourself. Right? Be graceful to yourself, especially as you look back over some of the things in your life that are painful and you, and you endeavor to deal with those things. Be graceful with yourself. So good. And then last week we watched some clips from the movie Inside Out and uh, we, we said, let's, let's let sadness do its work. Let's let sadness do its work. So that's where we've been this, since this summer. Let me just say three things about that, three observations. First, health is hard work, isn't it? Health is hard work. Uh, when we do the hard work of becoming emotionally healthy, and it is hard work. It's really hard work. Um, it's the kind of work that, that takes emotional energy and physical energy, and it takes a commitment of those around you because you're trying to work on something, which means you're always bringing junk up. You're not the easiest person to live with. It's hard work. But we are stepping forward in this work, and we're stepping back, and that's what's challenging. We step forward. We make some progress. We use our will. We build some habits. We change the way we respond to things. But then as we grow, we stumble up against some issue that's a result of our past, and we got to go back, and we got to deal with some of that junk, right? We have to take steps forward, and we got to uncover some things. we got to deal with some pain. we got to remember how that went down when I failed at that thing. we got to revisit that. And it can feel really, really frustrating. It can feel like you're not making any progress. Nothing's getting better. You'll have a great week. And then you'll run into some trigger, and it'll send you back to where you feel like you were 10 years ago, and you sit down and you wonder if change is really possible, if this idea of progress is really realistic, if, if God really de does change people or can. Health is hard work. And the second observation is this. Real life is not linear. It's not linear. Working hard to grow emotionally and spiritually, it can be really defeating if you see life linearly. And by that I mean if you see life as one big chronological line from, from start to finish. 
The linear view of life can be really defeating because the linear picture of, of progress is too simplistic. It's too simplistic. You take a few steps back forward, but then you stub your toe, and then you're back to where you were in 2009. And if that's the only perspective you got, just this linear view of life, then you're signing up for a, a really defeating way of seeing progress. Because every time you hit a bump, oh, snap, I'm back to 2009. Oh, oh now I'm back to 2008 or, or you know, 1980 or whatever. I, I want to I suggest instead that you, because life's not linear. It's way more dimensional than that. It's way more dimensional than that. And so if you were going to make a picture of it, maybe it'd be more like a spiral. Be more like a spiral. And, and we're just sort of growing and, and changing. And we come around and we hit the same issues, but we're not going back to that issue because we're coming around to it again. See what I'm saying? And life happens and you change and your perspective grows. and You visit that issue again. The issue is the same, but you're not the same because you've changed, you've grown. So you're not going back, you're going forward. Yes, you're revisiting 2009 again, but it's 2016 now, and so you're changed now. It, it's different now. Like, like, for instance, say you struggled with trusting God with your kids when they went to kindergarten, right? Because they were five years old or whatever, and you really struggled with it. You had to let go at a level that you hadn't before. And you worked through it, and you became real trusting, and now he's 18, and he's going away to college, and you are all shaky about it, and your trust is low, and you're going, what in the world? I thought I dealt with this when he was five. You did, but you've grown since then, and you know what? You're coming back around to that same core issue, and there's more for you to learn here now. So celebrate that. That's not regression. That's progress. I hope you're wrestling with it again, and you know what? You're going to wrestle with it again. <laughs> you're going to get to wrestle with it again because you're just going to keep coming back, keep coming around because life's not linear. It's way more uh, nuanced than that. You'll be different then the next time. And this is not to say that, that growth is always automatic and that moving forward is just what happens, but I am saying that moving forward usually involves revisiting central themes. You've got them, I've got them, we'll wrestle with them our whole lives, Right? That's how you grow. And the third thing I want to say about this is that growth and health is not automatic. So whereas there is this process of growth that feels complex and isn't, and it is, uh, it takes effort. It's hard. It's not automatic. It takes intentionality. In fact, I would say if there's a default setting, it's atrophy. If you do, it's atrophy. I was on crutches nine weeks last year. I didn't put any weight on my left leg for nine weeks. I'm still building this thing back up. I'm still trying to build it up. Because it atrophied, which is what happens. That's the automatic setting. Growth is a choice. Health is a decision. Becoming broken is pretty easy. It happens in a second. You knock the glass, the whole glass, off the counter, onto the floor, instantly broken. The process of restoring that, now we've got a much longer process, right? It takes a long time, takes a lot of intentionality. And it's an emotional process for people. It's a relational process. It's a social process. Other people are involved. It's a physical process. It's a spiritual process. It's complex. It's multifaceted. It is not automatic. It takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen. And that's why for the last four or five weeks, we've basically been saying this, deal with your pain. Deal with your pain. Choose to deal with your pain. Choose to face it. 
Choose to work through it. Because if you do nothing, you atrophy. You've got to make the decision to, 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 to grow. All right? It's the longest introduction in a long time. <laughs> this brings me to the main point of the sermon for today. All right? Yes, there's all these elements to health. Yes, it's complex. Yeah, there are all kinds of ways we could do things, look at things, perspectives, ways we could grow. I think, I think we can boil it down to this one core issue. You peel away the layers, you get down to the essential, and I think it comes down to this one simple, not easy, but one very simple choice, and here it is. It's the choice between victimhood and freedom. I think that's what it comes down to. Do you choose to be a victim? Do you choose instead to be free? Talk about that for a minute. Choosing victimhood is choosing to be powerless. It is choosing to be helpless. It is choosing to be ruled by and defined by circumstances and forces that are outside of your control. On the other hand, choosing freedom is recognizing what you do control. It may be a very little bit, but it's recognizing what you do control taking responsibility for that and doing something about it. Okay. So, are there bad, unfair, unjust, broken, destructive things that have happened to you in your life? Of course there are. Are those things your fault? No. They're not your fault. The abuse that happened to you was not your fault. Okay. Your parents' divorce was not your fault. Your disability, it's not your fault. Okay. The pain that you're experiencing is not necessarily your fault. Things have happened to you that are out of your control, and they have deeply and actually affected who you are. But here's the question, and I realize it's kind of a, it's kind of a confrontational question, but here's the, what are you going to do about that now? That's the question. How now will you respond to what has happened? I think this is the question, and I think your response to this question determines whether or not you become more healthy or whether or not you become more broken. I think, this is, I think it comes down to this. If you choose victimhood, if you choose, choose to allow what happened to you to continue to happen to you, to continue to rule, then you're not going to be free. You're never going to be free. And this is why it matters. You can't grow if you're a victim. Victims don't grow. You can't heal if you're always saying, if only. If only he would have been faithful. If only I would have gotten through college. If only they appreciated me at work. You can't grow from that place. You just can't. It, it's impossible. You can't mature with the perspective that says, poor me. And I'm sensing that I should say, I know that some of you are dealing with legitimate pain. And some of you have been actually abused and victimized. I know that. I'll, tell, I'll talk more about that in a second. But you can't move forward from that place with this poor me attitude. I was, I was at the kitchen sink a couple nights ago. And I'm like scrubbing the enamel off these dishes, right? And I'm super frustrated. And I'm just going through it in my head. 
this person continues to criticize. This situation continues to be unfair, unrealistic. I'm not getting my needs met in this situation. This person continues to ask me to and no, show no gratitude, right? I'm coming, there's dishes all over the, I got more work to do. I've been working all morning. I'm doing dishes and I'm, and I'm thinking, somebody ought to preach about this on Sunday, right? I'm thinking, no, this is what I'm preaching about. And I'm thinking, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm thinking big victimization, big abuse, right? I forgot about little things like dishes, but I'm falling into the same victimhood mentality over dishes. You see what I'm saying? And I can't grow from that spot. I'm like, how am I going to get out of that? How am I going to get out of that funk at the sink? There is, I have to get above it. I have to rise above it. I, if I stay in it, I'm going to take that into the living room. I'm going to take that into the bedroom when I say goodnight to the kids. I'm going to just spread that glorious attitude everywhere, right? I got to get up out of that. I can't mature. I got to grow up. Let me, I got to grow up, right? Grow up, Nate. Wash the dishes, right? My gosh. If the only way out of if only, the only way out of poor me is to decide to rise above it. That's the only way out. You, you won't change unless and until you take responsibility to change. If you choose freedom, you rise above the circumstances. You take responsibility for what you do control. You may not control much, but you do control your attitude and you do control your response to what just happened to you. You can't control a lot of things, but you can control your response to what happens. If you choose freedom, this is important, if you choose freedom, you are not saying that what happened to you was not important or what happened to you was, was not wrong. You're not saying that. Sometimes we choose to stay in the frustration because doing so reminds us and everybody else that, I, hey, I was really mistreated. And that's, but, but by choosing to get up out of that, you're not taking anything away from how wrong that was, that thing that happened. You're just deciding to grow up, mature, and to create a better alternative for you. You're basically saying, I'm just not going to let that thing continue to just rule my life. I've read about prisoners of war who are totally victimized, totally oppressed. They can't do anything. They have no control, but they learn, some of these guys. They learn, those, those guys, they can't control my thoughts. They can't control my sense of gratitude. They can't control my heart. And they somehow, on a level that's truly remarkable, they choose to be free even though they're in prison. And they literally experience freedom and they don't just further dive into this miserable, bitter, poor me kind of thing. Choosing freedom is essentially choosing to mature. It's taking responsibility for something and growing up. So look at it like this. A couple of things to contrast. You got victimhood on one side, on the other side, you got freedom. On the side of victimhood, you got this idea of futility. It doesn't matter. On the other side, you're like, I'm going to take responsibility. It's a totally different attitude. One side, you're going to stay stuck. On the other side, you're going to grow up. This, this is why I say this is the, what it comes to. This is the choice that it comes down to. I think it comes down to this. There's complaining or there's creating a better alternative. All right, let me show you one place. There are a few. Let me show you one place in Scripture where I think this, this shows up strong. It's in uh, John chapter 5. Jesus, uh, one of his apostles, John, writes this, um, writes this story down where Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, and it's the main city, and he goes in through this gate of the main city, 
and there's a pool there where all these invalids, lame, blind, crippled people, paralyzed people gather. This is John chapter 5. And they gather there because every once in a while the water in the pool will be disturbed. They say an angel of God comes and stirs the water and the first person to get into the water gets healed. So they're all gathered around there. And this is how um, John tells the story starting chapter 5, verse 5. One, of, one who was there, one who was at that pool, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I think it is the single most dangerous question Jesus asks in the Gospels. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get better? Do you want to change? Do you want to be whole? Notice this. It's a simple yes-no question, right? It's a simple yes-no question. And I think most who read this story would expect the guy who's been sick for 38 years to say, yes, I do. But watch how he responds instead. Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone goes down before me. Doesn't answer Jesus' question, does he? Right. He goes straight to his story. You got a story? <laughs> Do you have a story? A lot of us have stories. A lot of us. We've honed them. We got our story. It's a short, succinct little collection of unfortunate events that have given you some sense of sort of um, validated excuse that you roll out whenever somebody asks you a question that, oh, that's just a little too dangerous, man. You're just getting a little too close to me. So you roll out your story. He doesn't even seem to give Jesus the time of day. He doesn't even seem to really listen to him. He just jumps right into his story, and it keeps it. We all have these. I think most of us have these. And they're little sets of excuses that keep us safe when somebody actually asks a question that just feels a little too dangerous, questions like, why do you keep that job that you just hate? Well, you know, I tried this, and that didn't work, and they did this, and then my car ran out of gas that one time, and we just tell the story. Right? <laughs> questions like, why are you living like this? Why are you living like this? Well, you know, I lost my dad when I was a kid. My parents split up. No one ever really... And we do. Some of them are legitimate things that have happened actually cause real pain. I'm not saying they're not a big deal. I'm saying before we even let the question hit our souls, we go, bank, here's my story. Let me show you why. Let me tell you why not. Questions like this. Do you want to get well? It's a really simple question. And it's like, it's like he walks up, Jesus walks up to this guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years, asks the question. It's as if he doesn't even seriously consider it, isn't it? He launches right into his story. And I'm afraid that we do the same thing. That if God were to walk up to us, if Christ were to walk up to us and look us right in the eye and say, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? The word there means sound whole. Do you want to be whole? I'm afraid that some of us would just, before we even took him seriously, we'd go, well, you know, this happened to me and this and I can't do this. The guy in the story has a legitimately painful story. It is sad and it is pitiful. Guy can't walk, has no one to help him. That's terrible. That's injury and insult, right? He's broken and he's alone. 
He has a legitimately terrible story. It is super sad. But on the other hand, 38 years? 38 years? Dude's been telling this story sitting in front of hospitals since 1978. That's a long time. 38 years he's been telling this story. Do you want to get well? I have no one to help me. Do you want to get well? Somebody else always cuts in line. Do you want to get well? It defines him. It defines him. Interesting, the earliest Christian sermons on this text point out that Jesus doesn't ask about his story. Earliest Christian sermons on this text point out that Jesus is not concerned about how the guy got there. Jesus, surprisingly, doesn't seem to care too much about this guy's past. Jesus instead is totally present to the moment, walks up, sees a guy who's sick, and says, real simple thing, you want to get well? And it's the choice. It's the choice. Victimhood or freedom. That's the choice. And then there are these two details of the story that I find really interesting in regard to becoming whole. Let me hit them really quick. The first is that even though, um, yeah, even though the sick man doesn't ask the question, Jesus doesn't answer the question, Jesus heals him. Isn't that surprising? Answers to questions in the gospel seem to be really important, but here, the guy doesn't even answer the question. Jesus heals him. Verse 8, Jesus said to the man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, picked up his mat, and he walked. So that's really interesting because it shows how God's goodness and mercy and love extends to us despite ourselves, despite our own stupidity, despite our own self-centeredness. In other words, Jesus knows what you need. Jesus is for you. Jesus wants to continue to give you unconditional love, unconditional grace and power. In other words, it's not dependent upon whether or not you get the question or the answer to the question right. That's what unconditional love means. He loves you no matter, even if you got a lame answer to his great question. Jesus asks, do you want to get well? The dude gives a pitiful answer, and Jesus heals him. Surprising. But also notice this, that the healing only seems to go so far. The man is physically cured, yes, but he doesn't seem to change. He's better on one level, yes, but his heart doesn't seem to be deeply affected. John goes on to tell the story, shows how the guy makes continual excuses, fails to take responsibility, seems to largely miss the point of his being healed. The story ends in verse 14. Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. This is not a threat, but it is a warning. It's the recognition that Jesus understands the bigger picture and what he was trying to start with this physical. It wasn't about the physical healing for Jesus. It was about so much more. And you get this tragic sense that Jesus had higher hopes for this guy than this guy had for his own life. That's what you get. You get this tragic sense that, man, Jesus really was about to do something big. And the guy just sort of accepted sort of surface. The sense you're left with is that this guy, at a level that, that matters most, this guy's still stuck on one sense, he's won the lottery. On the other sense, he's still just a victim of circumstance. Half yeah, 38 years, I was at this gate. Nobody could pick me up. One day, a guy named Jesus came up, healed me. That's just what happened. It just sort of, you get this idea that he's just victim of circumstance all the way through. He's healed, but his, own, his healing only goes so far because he doesn't choose freedom. He doesn't take responsibility for this new life he's just been given. I don't think, th here's, a, here's the deal. I don't think this guy ever answers the question. 
do you want to be well? I don't think he ever answers it. If choosing freedom is essentially choosing to mature and essentially choosing to grow up and take responsibility, I would argue this guy's still paralyzed. He's still stuck. Many of us here have been uh, remarkably affected by Jesus. We've been changed. We've met him. Our life now is different than it was before we met Jesus. We can explain that. We can talk about that. He has healed us. But I would also say this, that many of us here, the healing has only gone so far. On one level, yes, we're different. On one level, yeah, we look different. But inside, and this is not a judgment, this is an invitation. Inside, there's still all kinds of pain going on. Inside, there's still all kinds of trouble. Inside, there's all kinds of ways that you could grow and develop. Jesus has given you peace. Amen. And you know what? There's a whole lot more peace he can give you. Do you want to be well? Jesus has given us power. Aren't you glad? But whole, you, you can't even read a single legitimate Christian biography without realizing that Jesus can give you a whole lot more power than what I got and than what some of us have, right? Do you want to be well? There's so much healing that has happened in our lives, but the healing continues. The invitation is toward continued becoming whole. The word means sound. The word means whole. So the question to, final, to, to conclude here is this. How whole do you want to be? How healed do you want to be? And I think the wonderful and frankly pretty terrifying reality is, is that I've got a choice, apparently. You've got a choice. I can be essentially as whole as I am willing to be. Jesus doesn't ever hit the brakes. He goes all the way for me. There is full presence of the Spirit of God available for me. I'm the governor on the situation. That was a golf cart metaphor or reference. Did you hear that? Not political. Um, I'm the one slowing the thing down. How whole do I want to be? How whole do you want to be? Man, what a great question. Do you want to be well? Oh. Victimhood or freedom? All right, last, real quick. Here's, you're like, tell me what to do. Give me a tool. Here's 10 tools. 10 classic tools from the history of the Christian faith used by those who want to become more whole. And we've done a great job in certain situations spelling out 12-step programs, three-step solution, all this stuff. The reality is the tool I need to use in order to become more whole is not the same tool you need to use. It's a great insight. Um, in other words, ask yourself this. Think about just personally, just personally. What do you need to do for 30 or 60 days? What, what one thing, one thing, don't do all 10. What is one, scripture reading, Prayer, study, really learning. What is the church taught on this? I'm going to study that. Simplicity, giving some stuff away, saying no to some more things. Simplifying, spending time by yourself in silence, solitude, physical care. Maybe one of the best spiritual decisions you could make is just to get a little more sleep, right? Physical care, taking a Sabbath, a day off, recreation, playing, serving somebody. So think about this personally. Personally, what is one tool that would really sharpen my life right now? What's one thing I should do? And if you don't know, think about it in terms of your family. 
What's one tool that your family might say, hey, hey, dad, would, would you pick this up, please? Would you learn how to use this a little better? We would all be grateful. We would all be helped. Your family would be helped if, if you would grow in one of these. You would use one of these tools in order to grow more healthy. What might your family ask you to practice? And if you don't know, then uh, maybe just take it one circle out farther. What about your community? What does this community need from you? But you haven't said yes because you don't necessarily feel equipped. But if you learned how to use a tool and you grew through some study, through a practice of prayer every day for a season, taking Sabbath, well then, then you'd be growing. All right. I always have a sense of uh, responsibility and heaviness when we do series like these because I know we're touching on some really raw spots in hearts. And uh, it's been a real personal encouragement for me to have so many of you participate in this series so wholeheartedly and to be asking hard questions and to be participating in, in the process of dealing with the hard stuff and not just saying, let's just get back to some shallow stuff. I'm not sure we ever really do, hopefully we don't ever do shallow stuff. But this has been remarkably challenging for some. And so I honor you for your willingness to lean in so that you can grow and become more whole, more the person that God has created you to be. Amen. Let's pray together. We're grateful, Lord. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful that you're before us and you're behind us and you're with us and you're within us. And so we trust in your grace. We ask for courage from you to continue to grow, to continue to heal, to continue to become whole for our sake, for your sake, for the sake of our children and our family, for the sake of our church, for the sake of the world who is desperately in need of holy people able to love and serve. I pray that you would take anything that was valuable from these last 10 weeks and you'd enable it to grow and blossom and and uh, produce fruit. And I thank you, Lord, for the blessing of community and that we can gather together and work out some of this stuff uh, shoulder to shoulder. In Jesus' name, amen.